Hello there. Come on in. It's great to have you here for another episode of The Global in the Granite State, a program of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. I am Tim Horgan, and I am the executive director of the Council, as well as your host and guide for this program. Welcome back to all our longtime listeners and to anyone who is tuning in for the first time. We are glad that you are taking the time to engage in global conversations about important events. As for today's episode, we wanted to highlight another ongoing crisis that has fallen out of the headlines, yet is still impacting thousands of lives today and well into the future. With over 4,000 dead and more than 10,000 still missing, the impact of the flood in Derna will be felt for generations in the city of around 90 to 100,000 people. We will explore how this happened and what the impact on the survivors has been as much as the city was destroyed. Just a quick note before we get started, the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire is a community-supported, nonprofit, nonpartisan organization, and we thank everyone, from members and donors to sponsors, for your support in making our work possible. If you can, we do hope you will show us the value you find in these conversations by donating today at wacnh.org slash donate. A special thank you to our longtime sponsor, McLean Middleton, for helping us continue our important global work. McLean Middleton is one of New England's premier full-service law firms with over 100 attorneys throughout offices in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. McLean Middleton's attorneys have been providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. Learn more at McLean.com. As the United States marked the 12th anniversary of the worst terror attack on U.S. soil, the city of Derna, Libya, was suffering one of its most devastating natural disasters in its history. Hurricane Daniel spun up in the Mediterranean Sea, and officials throughout the region began tracking the potential storm path. It soon became clear that the seaside town of Derna was in this path, and the forces that control the eastern side of the country where Derna is located, held emergency meetings to decide what to do. For those who are familiar, Libya has been engulfed in a civil war fueled by regional powers since the overthrow of former dictator Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. The capital, Tripoli, is controlled by the internationally recognized government in Libya, while the eastern side is actually controlled by a general, by former General Khalifa Haftar. He controlled everything there. Even the government is there. We cannot do nothing. And the parliament as well. The parliament is supposed to be for the whole of Libya, but it's taken side because of that. And he's controlling everything there. And he's and his sons actually controlling. We can call it as the military, uh, Libyan military. I don't see it that way anyway. They playing with these things. They, um, you know, the mayor of Darna has been appointed by the parliament, and by the general himself. That is Akram Banur, the general secretary of the National Anti-Corruption Commission in Libya, 
and an alumnus of the International Visitor Program, having participated in a virtual exchange with New Hampshire in 2021, and then having the opportunity for an in-person exchange experience in 2022. He spoke with us for this episode from his home in Tripoli and has a close connection to the city of Derna. I'm not from Derna, but my mom's from Derna. And I have my cousins, uncles and cousins there, live there in Derna. And I'm from Tripoli. But my cousins and uncles, uh, they live in Derna. I'm in contact with them almost every day since the crisis started. I'm in contact with them to see you know, how they how they doing. And thank God they were away from the stream, the flood. So they live up in the mountain in Derna, an area called Fadayah, which is high up on the mountain. They survived the flood, but unfortunately, they didn't survive the crisis itself. Yes, even those who did not have their homes flooded, demolished, or have immediate family members killed in this tragedy have been affected by the ongoing crisis. I say ongoing because despite the international media moving its attention elsewhere, this is not a crisis of just a massive flood and everything goes back to normal once the water recedes. While exact numbers are hard to come by, at least 16% of the city's entire population is missing or confirmed dead. That number will rise, not only as more people are identified, but as the knock-on effects of this disaster begin to take their toll. Rebuilding Dana is not the priority. The priority is the need of the people there. The people, they need shelter, they need food, they need medical care, they need a lot of things. That's before to rebuild the city. Rebuilding the city, it comes later. But now, winter is around the corner. So where are those people going to live? How are they going to live? I mean, we're talking about thousands, thousands. 50,000 more, I'm not going to say the exact number, but the minimum is 40, 50,000. Where are they going to live, those people? How are they going to live? How are they going to go through this winter? They don't have houses, they don't have nothing. I mean, when I say the flood is took everything, it means took everything what they have. You know, even people who's got businesses, who's got money in the banks and all this, no banks, no businesses, no houses, no people. Gone completely. From housing to medical care to clean food and water, there are a number of issues that need to be resolved immediately for the people to simply survive in the wake of this disaster. Before we get to what is needed there, How did we get to this point in time? As I mentioned, the country of Libya has been engaged in a civil war since 2011, and Derna was especially impacted by this. In 2012 and 13, the city came under the control of the Islamic State and placed under siege by General Haftar's forces. Since driving the militants out of the city, many have accused the government led by Haftar of neglecting the city in retaliation for the fighting that occurred there. In many ways, the infrastructure of the city was already in very poor condition, and the situation was ripe for disaster. However, being a seaside town on the coast of the Mediterranean, this is not some ramshackle little town. Derna is on the coast, on the east of Libya, on the coast. And it's it's like a mountain and a city. They have the city by the coast, at the bottom of the mountains. The city, they have the old town and the new built town. And I think it's about 150,000 people lives in this, around that number. Don't take it as exact number, but around that number. 150 to 200,000 people lives in there. And Darna is well known with the natural 
views there. We have the waterfall area, which is really beautiful. We have the area called uh, Al-Khabta, which is where the fresh water mixed with the sea water, but it does not mix. You know, it's, it's something, I mean, really nice. And a lot of buildings there, man, old buildings. And Darna is a multicultural city and is well known since the Romans. It's been built by the Romans. Some of the old cities been built by the Romans, which is unfortunately nothing left there for now well, after the crisis. And it's away from the capital, from Tripoli. It's about 1,350 kilometers away from Tripoli and away from the border to Egypt is about around four five hundred kilometers. Unfortunately, now about 25% of the city has been destroyed, again changing the trajectory of the people's lives for generations. Many people probably have heard of the two dams that burst as Hurricane Daniel dropped about four to seven inches of rain on the city. This might not sound like a lot, as an average thunderstorm can drop that much water in one hour or two, However, there are a couple of things to note here. First, as Akram mentioned, Derna is located at the base of a mountain range in the middle of a long and narrow valley called a wadi. This riverbed is typically dry in the summer, and the city receives about half of an inch of rain throughout all of September. Gathering all the rain falling in the city and the surrounding mountains to funnel it down this dry riverbed is going to cause problems no matter what. However, as you probably heard, there were two dams situated on the river, which combined were designed to hold over 24 million cubic meters of water, if they were properly maintained. It is estimated that over 30 million cubic meters of water rushed through the city when the dams broke. This led to a 23-foot high wave of water, sweeping almost everything in its path out into the ocean. While I cannot say for sure how full the dams were before the storm hit it, satellite images do not show huge amounts of water in them a week before. This indicates the massive storm dropped enough water to burst both dams. Now, typically dams are designed to withstand major events. But, as the deputy mayor of Derna, Ahmed Madrud, pointed out, these dams have not seen any maintenance work since at least 2002. The main thing is we want to talk about it is before this crisis, you know, the dam that was there, they have two of them, two dams there in Darna. They have the big one and the, the smaller one. The big one is quite far from Darna and the smaller one is like at the beginning of Darna. The big one, they call it Bab Tobruk. That's where it is. That's the area where it calls. And the problem is for the two governments, both of them, they did not do anything regarding repairing and maintaining the dams before that happened because uh, there's been quite a few reports that saying the dams that read an urgent service and maintenance. But uh, unfortunately, they even set uh, a budget for that. Both governments, they set budget and the budget has gone somewhere else. They set the budget specifically for Dharma before this happened the hurricane Daniel. They set the budget for Dana, but unfortunately that budget just disappeared, dissolved. There's nothing there and they didn't do nothing to the dam. That mayor of Dana, he's the one who took the money before the flooding. He took the money to service and maintain the dams. And he's the one who spread the money between him and others 
I don't know who's that exactly, but I'm sure it's clear who needed their share. So they split it between themselves and they didn't do nothing. And they are the first responsible person for this crisis. That doesn't mean that the other Western governments are doing good. No, they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing, but just they don't control that area, the Eastern Libya. They don't control it, but they're doing the same thing. I mean, they need to uh, move up. If it's a government, if you're a government, you should be a government for the whole country. You should be government looking after everyone, not just one you know, place or another. Now, both of them, both government, they're setting the budget, another budget to rebuild Darna, which is this budget, I'm sure is going to go same as what happened to the other ones. It's going to go to their pockets. It is pretty clear that there were many reports over the past several years indicating the state of these dams built in the early 1970s did not meet the necessary standards and were in need of immediate repair. Interestingly enough, Libya is not the only place suffering from woefully insufficient maintenance of its dam infrastructure. With over 2,300 high-hazard potential dams identified in the U.S. alone, 56 of them found in New Hampshire as of last year. The state's chief dam safety engineer was quoted by the Associated Press as saying, folks would consider it disconcerting that a dam does not meet state criteria, but at the same time, it's related to ensuring these dams have the capacity to withstand inflows from extreme events. Folks shouldn't be concerned by an imminent threat because those extreme events are infrequent. That is all well and good until it is not. Hopefully, safety officials will take a lesson from this disaster and dedicate the funds necessary to bring these structures up to code to avoid those in ever-increasing, once-in-a-generation storms. If you are looking for your takeaway from this discussion, it would be to make sure, no matter where you live, that your governments are prioritizing structural integrity of these important systems. There's one other factor that should be noted in this story. Yes, as the storm headed for the Libyan coast, it was too late to do anything about the dams, but action could have been taken to prevent this from becoming a major loss of life event and instead keeping it as a major loss of property one. You know, this hurricane that came from Greece and went to Libya, to the sea, and the thing is, they didn't watch or oversee the outcome of these things. They didn't follow the hurricane. Where is it going to hit? You had a hurricane in California a few weeks ago. But because they follow the book, there's things that you have to do before the hurricane hits one area. First of all, should be monitoring, monitoring the hurricane, the movement of it. And second, you need to evacuate people from the area that could be flooded. And instead of that, actually, just the night that the hurricane hit Darna, they said to people, you shouldn't go out of your home, which is people who live right at the edge of the stream where the flood is and on the sea. And they moved the people from the seaside, they moved them in to where the stream, where the flood, just because they thought the hurricane is going to hit from the sea. It's something that's bigger than what they can handle. They don't have the experience of that. They cannot handle something like this. Uh, they don't know what to do. They, wh- what they've done is they made things worse for people instead of saving them. And this is an important thing that has not been talked about too much, as far as I can tell. 
There's no weather service in Libya now due to the ongoing bifurcation of the country. The eastern government did not know what the dangers were and sent conflicting information to the people of the city, with some being told to evacuate and others being told to stay inside their homes. If there was a proper understanding of the danger, particularly a focus on the state of the dams, then there was plenty of time to move people out of the way of the flooding well before the dams were compromised. However, I want to be clear that this crisis did not end within the week when all the international news crews moved on to the next big international crisis. It's understandable that the media cannot cover everything and has to move on to the next story at some point, so this is not a criticism of the media here. It is a much broader issue than that, as the global society moves on from these issues quickly, as if the flood was the only problem to stem from this. Now, the survivors have to continue to struggle to live and not succumb to this health, housing, and nutritional crisis that they continue to experience. First of all, Dagma has been locked down from the army, if you want to call it army. They locked down the, the city. They don't let no one goes in there except whoever lives there in Derna because they don't want the news to come out. They don't want people knows what really happened. But because I have my cousins and my uncles there, I always in contact with them. I know. You know, there, although you see that a lot of aid that went there from Libya itself and from other countries, they helped out. But until today, they need water, food, shelter, electricity, communication is cut, no communication, no electricity. I mean, all these things, I mean, the basic, basic thing that a human needs, they don't have. And they're still calling for help to get these things. But unfortunately, the army is, as I said, is stopped people from going there. Even the help, when they go halfway from Tripoli, they go into Darna, halfway, like uh, when they reach Sert, they stop them there, they take everything from them, and then they tell them, turn around and go back. And what they take from them, God knows where it goes. Because people need it, still suffering, still asking for food, for shelter, for, for, for clean water to drink. Because the water is, is not clean anymore there. And the people still asking for water to drink. You know, one of the families the other day, he was crying. All while he's got a small can of condensed milk. He said, this is taking me the whole day. This is my breakfast, my lunch, my dinner. A small can of condensed milk. I mean, that's what they have. As I said, it's because it's the army closing the city. People, they cannot get what they need. Unless the aid goes straight from foreign countries, they come and they take it directly there to Dharma. Then, yeah, maybe it will reach them. And as I said, the people, what really, really need now is shelter, water, and food, medicine as well. So that's the important thing for them. With all of these needs, it did seem that the international community rallied to the support of the people of Derna, sending aid teams, supplies, and other relief operations. However, it seems questionable as to where all that aid ended up, as Akram points out. At the beginning, it was quite good. After the crisis happened, so after the flood, at the beginning, there was good. There were a lot of search teams specialized from so many different countries looking for bodies and all this but the search team is their job is to search for bodies not to help the others and they send quite a lot of help came there at the beginning as i said the help when reached there 
it goes in the wrong hands. It doesn't go where it's supposed to be. It doesn't reach the people that they need it. But the search team, they've done a really brilliant job. Everybody's appreciated. But they have, you know, a time, that 10 days, and then after that, they left because they've done their jobs and really was really helpful. Even people, they were happy with that, and uh, they appreciate uh, what they've done. But on the other hand is the aid, which is helping people whoever lives there. That was a little bit not appropriate, what it's done. I mean, I'm sure the international, they thought that they gave what they should give. But the thing is, when they give it, they give it to the wrong hands, and then it disappears. You can imagine, at this time, people have lost their families and their loved ones and their homes and their wealth and everything. And there's some people there taking the aid that comes there, and they sell it to those people, and they sell it for crazy prices. Again, it's nothing new that people with power in places with low accountability tend to take advantage of that power even in times of crisis. This is not a symptom inherent to any one country, and corruption takes place everywhere. The question becomes, how can we reduce the ability of corrupt leaders to profit, and how can we ensure aid gets to the right people in a timely manner? My call is for the international to get involved in this, to oversee the way how they spend this budget. Even the money that's been given by the UN and by the American, by the you know other governments, they give it money as an aid, which is to help people now with their crisis. But that money, I'm 100% sure that it's not going to reach the right people. Even if it does, it's going to be something really, really small. It's not going to be what it's supposed to be for. My idea is is we need a committee from abroad or international committee to manage or to oversee this money when it comes there, that to make sure that money goes to the right people. But unfortunately, we cannot do it as a Libyan ourselves. For me, we tried to do this committee, but... The corrupted people, they won't let you be in because they know that you're going to stop them from taking what they're planning to take. My call is to the international, to the UN, to the American, to the British, whoever can help with this in any way to stop this, to be, you know, stalling and to make sure that this money goes to whoever needs it exactly. But of course... In today's world, international cooperation has not come easily in resolving crises like this. With the country split between two competing factions, and those factions supported by people on completely opposite sides of the geopolitical spectrum, it could seem impossible for an international coalition to come together to ensure the proper administration of aid. The general in charge of Derna and the eastern region apparently only trusts the Red Cross and Red Crescent to deliver aid to the region. This leads to the question, if the people in control do not want to allow relief organizations in, how can this international coalition be built? Let me give you an example. For the UN now, the UN, they can form a committee. And because the UN, they deeply involved in Libya there. And Mr. Patili is, is being there and he's trying to do a lot of things. But what I suggest is, is like the UN, they can form a committee the committee, we can help them to form to form the committee. We can advise them who can be in this committee. First of all, it needs to be uh, with some experts 
from foreigners. Because when the foreigner comes in, that's what I call it, the force. Because there, they respect and they try to be nice when they see the foreigners there. I'm sorry, for am I, am I uh, speaking very clearly about this? But unfortunately, that's how it is. That's how it plays in there. From the American side, they can do that as well. They can form a committee. You know, they have the American aid. It can be done through that. Uh, form a committee, and that committee will be appointed to oversee the budget that they spending on Dernas people, not to build Derna. Rebuilding is not the time for it. Now, as you know, when the bodies are being there for days and days and days, a lot of disease might come up, God forbid, a lot of disease will be coming. And if this happened, that would be another disaster, worse than the first one. So what we need is someone to, to help us to do that, to first of all, to take the first step, which is try to find a shelter for people who lost their homes and try to clean the city properly make sure that there's no bodies are left in there. And, and then we go to that next step, which is we, they need to rebuild the dams because what if the hurricane comes tomorrow? What's going to happen again? We're going to do the same thing again because the dams are still knocked down. They're not good. They're not working anymore. But what if this happened? We never know. This can happen any, any minute, any time. So the global, the international, they need to do something regarding this, specifically this situation. And as soon as possible, as I said, this winter is just around the corner and people, they're going to suffer. I mean, whoever's going to die now this winter, probably same as what the flood took. Many people may be wondering what kind of local response is happening in Libya to help the people of Derna and ask why they cannot do this alone. While this has a lot of complex answers, the biggest challenge comes from the military stopping the flow of aid and wanting to administer it all themselves. The claim is that Derna has been a hotbed of resistance from Islamic forces in the past, and the military wants to ensure weapons and supplies are not being smuggled in with the rest of the aid. However, this applies even beyond just aid, as the military is restricting access to the area by journalists and others who might be able to share out what the realities on the ground are. At the moment, if you're a local, whether it's a non-profit organization trying to help, as I said, the army is blocking everything now. They let in whoever suits them, whenever they suit them. Even people inside Dharna, if they come out, they have to go through a very long procedure. They make things difficult for them to come out and go back to their places. People who survived and still live there, they find it very difficult to go out of Dharna to get things from somewhere and go back there. They make it very difficult for them. They make the procedure really, really difficult. Forget about if you're an organization, non-profit organization, want to help. That's no, let's stop completely. I mean, uh, even the journalists and from there, uh, they cannot go there to them anymore. The beginning, they let them in for a while and then they stop them and then they cut off all the communication and then they put them in one place and then they send them out. So now they're like completely blocking what's going on there. So. Overall, it is important to remember that the massive flood in Derna was not only a crisis of the flood, but is an ongoing crisis that continues to impact the survivors of this tragedy today. In addition, the disaster and response are illuminative of the broader issues of the ongoing civil war and the challenges of doing the basic work of administering the functions of government while you are more focused on fighting your countrymen. If so much of the attention and funding 
is focused on the military, that important issues of governance, such as maintaining infrastructure, is impossible. While neglecting critical infrastructure is not limited to war zones or inefficient governments, it certainly does not help. In addition, there is an ongoing conversation to focus on how humanitarian aid can be administered in regions that are instable and have high levels of corruption. While the international community needs to respect the needs and desires of local communities, supporting them in ways that are culturally sensitive, it is also important to ensure that the aid truly reaches the people in most need in a timely manner. This can require going around local governments and building direct relationships with the people, however difficult that work can be. At the end of the day, people continue to suffer, and without an effective international response, survivors will turn into victims of this crisis. This is a big disaster. I feel sorry for what happened to all the people there, and I'm sure everyone feels the same, even if it's not from Libya. And I hope that there is help to come uh, as soon as possible to help those people, at least to make them live as a human being in a proper place and with a drink of proper water and, and foods. And thank you, Tim. Thank you very, very much for this interview and for your help. And thank Anise for me, please, because she's doing very good as well. And she's trying to help for her health and everything. And uh, as I said, I hope that someone will step forward and do something as soon as possible. Thank you so much for listening to this month's Global in the Granite State podcast. The first step to building a better world is building a more informed world. Your support of this and our other programs allow us to bring these important global conversations to our international community centered in New Hampshire. We hope you continue to find these programs helpful in your understanding of the world and that the lessons we learn from one crisis can help inform responses to ongoing and future crises. This has been the Global in the Granite State, a program of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. Tim Horgan is your host, audio engineer, producer, director, researcher, storyteller, and whatever nice other title you want to give him. As always, our theme music is admin by A.A. Alto, and our interlude music is Strange Hip Hop Beat by Defect Machine. Again, Thank you to all of our members, donors, supporters, and sponsors, especially McLean Middleton. We cannot thank you enough for making this work worthwhile. Looking forward to next month's conversation. 